You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. My name is Phil. And I'm honored that you have joined us for this episode today where we are going to look into story. And I'm joined by Heather Hutzel, who also writes under the name H.R. Hutzel. Now, I first came across Heather's fiction work, but it turns out she writes nonfiction as well. And it is all gold, my friends. I've really enjoyed reading her stuff. Um, It's helped me really engage my own story. It's made me think a lot. And she was just a blessing to have on the podcast. So I'm really excited about this episode. We dive into all kinds of good stuff from kind of a larger discussion of story in general and our invitation to be active participants in the story that God is telling, the story that God is still writing in the world, the story of redemption. And then we sort of dive into her work in a unique way, looking at her interaction with her own characters. And she sort of shares some of her own experience in and through the eyes and experiences of her characters. And we get into some, some really cool stuff around identity, kind of wrestling with who we are, dark times when we go through darkness, what it looks like to listen to and hear the voice of God. We dive into our mind, dreams, mindfulness. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff here. And Heather opens up about her own spiritual practices. Because here at Rua Space, of course, we love spiritual disciplines. And so she uh, really gives us some insight into that. And so wherever you are in your own journey, I'm sure you will be challenged and encouraged by this episode. I'm so grateful uh, that Heather came on the podcast, and I'm grateful that you are joining into this conversation. So brothers and sisters, I hope you enjoy this special interview episode with Heather Hutzel. Well, Heather, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on. You know, I jumped into some of your fiction stories and they just really grabbed my attention. I I don't get to read a lot of fiction these days, Uh, you know, mostly reading things for work and the podcasts and such. But your stories, they were really great. They were engaging. Can you share a little bit with people what exactly you write? Kind of the just an intro to your journey and your books? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my name's Heather. I write under the name H.R. Hutzel, and I write what I call spiritual fantasy. And so if your readers are familiar with an author like Ted Decker, that would be a pretty similar comparison as to the type of stories that I tell. So fantasy elements, but Christian elements and spiritual elements as well, with a little bit of thriller mixed in, you know, to keep people on the edge of their seats, that sort of thing. Um, but my, my current series that I'm writing right now is the Anointed series, and it is uh, an end times fantasy that takes place between uh, a dystopian futuristic world, but then also inside of what is called a cloaked city. And that's this hidden world uh, that exists between the physical realm and the spiritual realm where um, a good portion of the characters exist. And it's all about uh, bringing light to the darkness. So it serves very much as sort of a metaphor for our world today, uh, for what's going on in our world. But uh, yeah, that's the story that I'm telling. So why fiction? I know you're you know, you're, you're obviously a really great writer and you've written some other books as well, but what grabbed you about fiction? Yeah, I, I've written both fiction and nonfiction and I do keep coming back to fiction and that is because 
I've learned over the years that stories are incredibly powerful. Stories have transformative power. And the more I've studied story, the more I realize it's not because um, we can use story to sort of articulate our world. It's because the human life is is a narrative. It's the it that's the format that the human life exists in, and that's why we resonate so much with um, you know think about any of the popular franchises that exist today, like The Avengers, uh, Stranger Things is a big one, Hunger Games and Harry Potter, those were all big ones. Those stories really have the power to transform us because they resonate with something that, that's very deeply ingrained in us, and that's that narrative that we that we all live in. And God has wired us this way. He's wired us for story. We learn through story. We communicate through story. Uh, if you think about with, with small children, first things that we start reading to them, the first things we start teaching them, it's always a little storybook that has a moral built into it. It's the way that we're designed and the way that we're built. And so um, I know that even as adults, we still learn through the through the form of story. And one of the reasons why I found that learning through story is so powerful is because it requires us to engage our imagination. And so we begin to see ourselves as the character in the story. We place ourselves in there. We see the different attributes of the characters that we ourselves relate to, and we see our own lives inside of their stories. And so when we see a character who goes through a story arc where they begin in one place and they're transformed through the trials that they face and the, the friends and the enemies and the allies that they meet along the way, we begin to see how that relates to our own life and we see our own transformative process in and through those characters that we read about. Yeah, there seems to be something flat if we just sort of tell people, you know, do this or think this way. And that doesn't really connect with us as humans, right? But when we when we see it playing out among others, we get into the emotion, we get to feel what they're going through. That's probably why the Bible is, is mostly story. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and you know, Jesus was a storyteller. He taught through parables. That was one of the the big ways that he taught his his followers was through stories. And of course, his stories were all very relevant to the to the time that those people lived in. A lot of agricultural references and uh, farming references, that sort of thing. But yeah, God God is a storyteller, and that's the thing you know that unites uh, the the biblical text is that there is a meta narrative that runs from Genesis through Revelation, and it's really incredible when you take a step back and you look at the the biblical text and you realize this was written over years and years and years by all these different authors. And it, there was, you know, of course, the role of the Holy Spirit that played into it of uh, determining which books would go into the Bible and helping people compile it, that sort of thing. And yet that story remains from beginning to end. And not only that, but we see it in, uh, in every single element of the story along the way. And so one of the things I like to talk about is you know, we as authors, one of the things that we like to do is we we have this surface level story that we're telling with, with any book that we're writing. But throughout that, we leave in these little metaphors and little uh, symbols and analogies and all these little clues and nuggets for the author to find along or for the reader to find along the way as they're going through the story. And all of those different little pieces support the main story that you're reading about. So it's not that it's like a secret hidden story that you have to find but it becomes like an onion. You're peeling back these layers. It's still an onion all the way down, but there's a depth and a richness to it. And I find that if we read the Bible through a narrative lens, rather than trying to read it as strictly historical, strictly literal, not saying that those stories aren't real, not saying that there's not they're not historical, not saying that at all, 
but saying if you view it through the lens of a story, you start to see that it's so rich. There's all these threads that are woven throughout it, and it all supports that surface level story of what the gospel is. And so if you have a moment, I, I would love to share with you one of my, my favorite little nuggets that I think God leaves in there for us. Of course. Okay. So one of the things I like to talk about is, you know, one of the most important decisions that an author makes is when they decide to begin telling their story. It's the, the once upon a time, if you will, right? The moment that the story begins. And it's not that this is the beginning of all that there ever was or all that there ever will be. It's the beginning of that particular story. And what I like to do is use that when we look at Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's not that the beginning is the beginning of God, because God is infinite, right? His, and if, if God is infinite, his story is infinite. The Bible tells us he's, he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, right? He is the beginning and the end. So the significance of Genesis 1 is not that it's the beginning of God, it's the beginning of us. Mm. God chooses the very moment that we walk onto the scene to begin the unfolding of his epic tale. And it's almost as if God is saying to us, there is no story worth telling before I met you. Hmm. And when you, when you look at that, you start to see that is the entire story of the gospel. He, it's, it's about the love of God. God, you know, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his identity. And we are the object of that adoration. And so with that lens in mind, you see, it's not so much a story about who God is, but rather who we are to God. And that's the story that he tells through the biblical narrative. Yeah, as you're as you're saying that, it, it made me think as well about the fact that our story starts out as a good story. It's easy mm-hmm. to sort of jump to Genesis 3 and make the story about sin. But in reality, this is a story about goodness where we're invited to sort of thrive. But that's only one story that's out there, right? There's many stories all day long kind of calling us and saying, hey, trust this narrative. You can, you know, you can sort of live into this story. And I know in your book, Escape, you sort of talk about the two different stories that we're invited into. But I think we're invited to a good story. Absolutely. Well, the cool thing about story, and this is, you know, if you look at something like the hero's journey, which is a very typical story archetype, story structure, it starts with the character in what they call the ordinary world. And the journey is that the hero leaves that ordinary world. They go on an adventure where they have to be, they have to learn, they have to be formed and transformed themselves. But they end up in the end, they return to where they began, but they return transformed. And that's exactly what the biblical narrative is. It begins in an Eden and it ends in an Eden, but we return transformed after having learned something along the way. And so even even that, yes, we start in a good story. We find ourselves in a very bad story at times, <laughs> but we are on a journey to return to that place of being in a very good story. So as you engage that story in your books, my assumption is, so basically you're taking narrative, kind of putting it into another narrative. My guess is, as you did that, did you start to see any biblical stories differently? Like I know your second book in the Bethel series, Witness, starts with this sort of retelling of the Noah story, right? With some with some right. changes. So as you were sort of reading the narrative to put it into another narrative, did you start to see anything different? Did anything change for you? Is anything surprising? Yeah, I would say... 
you know, it's not necessarily that it changes from the way I would view it, like from a historical perspective necessarily, but more of understanding that deeper truth, that that deeper spiritual truth that runs. It's like the subtext of every story that's in the Bible. And that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, an author leaves these little clues and nuggets and symbols and metaphors for us to find. And so, yeah, diving into a story, placing yourself in the story, because as an author, that's a big part of what I do. I, I said it before, but it, it's like an imaginative prayer experience where I'm entering into the story myself. I'm seeing myself as a character, picturing, for example, the Noah's Ark scene, seeing the Ark, all those different things. And it does, it brings it to life in a really profound and powerful way that does have a more transformative impact on me and helps me to see, you know, what was Noah's experience? How, I mean, if to, to enter into that of, of what he must have been experiencing, seeing as, as the story plays out, the waters rising, the people rushing towards him to try to board the ark and, you know, knowing the promise that God had given him, all those different things, it, it, it does allow you to kind of bring that in and make it more of a personal experience for yourself. So yeah, absolutely it does. It transforms uh, the way I think about the stories. And then hopefully, ideally, it translates um, through the text that I write and allows other people to be able to enter into that as well and allow them to have that, not the same transformative experience, but something similar that's more personal for them as well. Yeah, I think what you're getting into there is really neat because I think that that could be a cool sort of spiritual discipline practice for anybody, even if you're not, you know, able to write fiction or not considering doing it, but to take that time to put yourself in the shoes of characters. And, and I've just found it helpful to even put yourself in the shoes of the characters that you don't immediately identify with (laughs) to say, what would it be like to be the person running toward the boat? Right. Or in the good Samaritan story, not to be the Samaritan, but to be the guy beat up on the side of the road. who has got to accept that help. Um, I think that visualization practice is really cool. Did it come naturally for you or is it something you sort of had to work at? I would say it does come naturally to me. It, I would say it's definitely a way that God has, you know, wired me, gifted me. Um, he's definitely equipped me to be able to do this. Um, just even talking with my mom, she tells stories about when I was, you know, a little, a little kid that pretend was always my favorite story that I had a very, you know, active imagination. I was always creating these narratives that we would, you know, play out. And I was apparently also very bossy. So I was an author <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> I was trying to author the whole story that my friends and I were playing. <laughs> that is awesome. So yeah. it, it sounds then like if you're doing the imagination and I even as a, as a child and then growing up, there's a part of you then coming out in the story too, right? So it's not just the biblical story. I mean, I think that's one thing as we're, as we're engaging scripture, we like to think it's something separate that we can sort of objectify as, uh, you know, out there somewhere and we just glean, uh, glean knowledge. But our story becomes a part of that story, right? And I, I would imagine when you're writing new stories, are you wrestling with things through the characters, learning from the characters? What is what is your relationship to your characters, I guess? Oh, absolutely. There's a little piece of me in all of the characters, and people who know me well even will comment that, and they'll even say that they see that. Um, it, it's very, it's internally driven. And it's also externally driven. So it's, it's nar- narratives and things that I'm living out in my own life or exploring or wrestling with. Um, but it's also the things that I see in my family and my friends, the people around me, um, and, and also just things that we see in our world. 
so yeah, definitely. There's a, a little bit of me, I would say, in all of the characters, and a lot, a lot of writing is uh, exploring your own narrative too, yeah. as an author. And I've heard a lot of authors say that that a lot of the stories that we tell are born out of a place of us just kind of exploring our own our own narrative, our own life, and our own journey. Um, and I think those make for some of the very best stories because they're usually written out of a very real, vulnerable place. And it makes, um, I think it makes it even more identifiable and relatable to the reader. So, for example, with the first book, Anointed, no spoilers, but the, the main character, Rachel, finds herself um, at, at the very beginning of the story in this terrible accident in, in that she loses her memory. So the, the arc for Rachel is very much a discovery of identity. It's discovering who she is, who she's made to be, how her past relates to that, what her future looks like, and how the present, you know, how she interacts with the present to, to bring all of those things to reality. And that's, uh, that was definitely something that I was exploring as I was going through the process of writing that character, is understanding of identity. And I mm. think that is one of the things that makes Rachel such a relatable character is because regardless of where we are in our journey as, as a Christ follower, or just, you know, as a human being, we all wrestle to some degree with understanding who we are, who we're made to be, what our purpose is in this life. You know, some of life's biggest questions, right? <laughs> who am I? Why am I on the face of the earth? And that's, uh, that's what the character Rachel's going through. And so a lot of people can find themselves in her, in that character, even if they don't find themselves as a 16 year old girl reading the story. <laughs> well, I think that's yeah. one of the beautiful pieces about it is that, you, you know, we can sometimes think of fiction as just, a, oh, it's just an escape to do something fun. And I mean, there's part of that where the, the stories are fun, right? Otherwise, we probably wouldn't right. stick with them too long. But right. there is this other level where we're working out our own stuff with and through, even if we didn't write it as the reader, we're sort of experiencing with them. And that's bringing up our own feelings, our own emotions. And I know that happened for me. And so I was hoping oh, yeah. we could read uh, one quote that really stuck with me and then some other quotes and just kind of work through them. Absolutely. That sounds fun. Let's do it. Okay. So this one, I have to apologize because it is from Witness. So it's going to give a little bit of information because it's the second book. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah that, I think it's fine. Okay. So it. this is the main character. Um, and it says, but the one time he asked Rachel about it, and this is kind of her mentor. She told him that since her return, the dreams and all the other giftings have stopped. Longing and regret filled her eyes as she told Cohen, another kind of one of her friend mentors, that despite trying to dreamwalk, she couldn't get back to Yahweh. She couldn't return to being face to face with him. She tried to explain the pain of it, said that after standing in Yahweh's presence, nothing else would ever satisfy. After experiencing him in such a real way, the absence was unbearable. So... That, yeah, that hit because that is an experience I, I'm sure everyone's have, but I know when I read it, I'm thinking I've, I've been there. Mm, yeah. So for me, that was the book witness, which is the second book in the anointed series. The, the main character, Rachel, you know, without giving any spoilers is going through a very, a very dark season of her life. Um, and when I wrote that, or I should, I, I had just finished going through a season that felt very dark, that felt like Yahweh was very absent. Um, and so it was absolutely written out of a place of that vulnerability and being able to identify with what the character was actually experiencing. And so it's cool to hear that, 
you're able to identify like almost like it sounds like in a very palpable way it resonates with you like you you know you've been there before you can and hopefully other readers too they can they can picture exactly what where they were when they felt that they know the experience of that and it's it's true i mean if you if you have those very real encounters with god which i believe god does want us to have he he wants us his his presence to be is real to us as you and I having a conversation as me sitting down with my husband, that sort of thing that when there's that absence, it is unbearable. It breaks us. And that's exactly what the character was going through. And I know for me, it just, even though Rachel isn't a real person, right? There was a sense of, I'm not the only one. Mm, That's good. Especially as Christians, we can sometimes think, Oh, well I should feel it all the time. And if, God seems distant. It's because of something I did wrong, right? Or something I'm missing. But it seems like that's not always the case. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. There, There's a sense of, I'm not alone in this. Somebody else has experienced this. And it's not just a fictional character. And it's not just the person who wrote the story. But it's all of us. All of us on our journey have those experiences. And this is where I, I geek out and love to talk about story structure in the hero's journey because if you if you know what the hero's journey is and, and you can look at it and if any of your listeners want to just like google hero's journey you'll pull up very classic representations of, of like a circle structure and it starts like i said in the ordinary world and there's all these different steps along the way but if you begin to understand that your life is a narrative because life comes first narrative comes second like we design narrative based on what life actually looks like you can begin to look at this journey and see where you are along the way. And so once a, a once we or a character in a novel or in a movie receives what's called the call to adventure, where we feel like we're being, you know, called to step out on this this grand journey and we say yes to that, a very dark season follows that. What hmm. I like to call the wilderness and it's you know, the tests phase where the, the character goes through all these different tests and trials. Jesus himself went through this. He went through a very literal wilderness. A lot of the characters in the Bible go through literal wildernesses. Um, it's a place where we encounter a lot of our enemies and we, we, we meet some allies along the way as well. But one of the, the major defining moments that you're exiting that phase is when you hit the absolute rock bottom. <laughs> and it's called, in storytelling, it's called the dark night of the soul. It's where mm -hmm. it feels like something literally dies inside of you. But that's the moment of the hero's greatest transformation. And so one of the things, like when I'm mentoring people or coaching people, I like to say, hey, if it feels really bad, if it feels really dark, like that's good. You have to go through that. You can't skip over that phase because that's where some of our deepest transformation happens. But the good news is there's light on the other side of that when we walk through that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump to another one. Sure, go All for right. it. So this one is from Anointed, and it's kind of a Samuel type uh, experience here where it's, again, Rachel is kind of getting into this new experience. And it says, Rachel watches him from the bedroom doorway, the nightgown clutched in her bald fist. Answer it how? Francis chuckles and shakes his head. It's easy, my dear. All you have to say is, here I am. Your servant is listening. And then kind of another quote, if in your sleep tonight you hear a voice beckoning you once again, you should answer it. Can you tell me about that one? Yeah, so the the prayer of Samuel, the, the speak, Lord, your servant is listening, is one of the, the most frequent prayers that I pray. I'm constantly asking God to speak, and in hearing hearing the voice of God has been one of the most important things I've learned along the way in my personal journey of becoming an author and that sort of thing. But um, 
I think it's it's the prayer. One of the prayers that God longs to hear the most from us is is to hear us say, "Speak," because he, he the truth is he's always speaking. We're just not usually listening, <laughs> and so when we pray that prayer, it's 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 turning our intention and tuning our ears towards the voice of God and saying, "Hey, I do actually want to hear you speak directly into my life." Because while God is always speaking, God is is very gracious. He gives us our, our space. He doesn't barge into our lives, and so he he wants to be invited in. You know, he's very real and personal God. And when we pray that prayer and we say, "Hey, hey, God, I really want to hear what you're saying." Um, he, he does speak. We find that he does speak. And then the next key, of course, is to be listening for what he says after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's a that's a big one for us at Rua Space, because it's mm-hmm. about how can we sort of position ourselves to listen well with all the distractions that kind of go on. Yeah, um, absolutely. Kind of along those same lines, um, another one from Anointed is uh, the mind is a difficult thing to wrestle. It does like to wander, especially in dreams. You'll have to fight your subconscious. It's an, I love this imagery here. It's an angry sea monster ready to overturn the ships of sensibility and pull you into the murky depths where all matter of strangeness abounds. That, that is just such a picture of our brain. It is. And that is a Francis quote, if I ever heard one. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Character Francis that says that he was the mentor figure. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if, if you're a, a vivid dreamer or not, uh, I am, um, which I think inspires a lot of wh- where the stories come from. The idea that our, our dream world, wh- where our subconscious mind runs rampant, it can be just all matter of strangeness. It yeah. is just kind of a mess at times and being able to pull any sensibility out of that. But, you know, it's interesting because sometimes... I write things in the moment where I'm experiencing them or God's leading me through them or teaching me about them. And sometimes I write things not even realizing that it'll be something I come back to later and begin to really, like God begins to use it to teach me. And I would say this phrase uh, really sums up kind of something that I'm I'm learning about now, even though I wrote this book, you know, last year. Well, it published last year. I wrote it before that. But the idea of mindfulness and paying attention to what's going on in our brain so when I wrote the book Escape, which is my nonfiction book, obviously I was diving into this and diving into this idea of mindfulness and thinking about the narrative that we live in. But it's like, you know, again, an onion. I'm, I'm discovering on a deeper level at this point in time and just trying to really understand like what God is teaching me about mindfulness. But I think it definitely goes back to we live in a narrative, you know, whether we realize it or not, there is a story that plays out in our mind. It's how we make sense of our world and how we make sense of our life. And we're either going to live in a narrative that is in alignment with God and God's, you know, God's story that, that he's telling through all through all of history and all of creation, or we're going to align with what the world wants to say to us. And again, that's a million different stories. I like to just call it the story of the world and give it, you know, kind of one big <laughs> label but it plays out in our life in a bunch of different ways and being able to understand our sub, you know, that those are, those narratives are running in our subconscious mind. And we do, we have to fight them in order to actively choose to live in the narrative that, that God has for us. I was reading a book recently and they said the subconscious mind is 1 million times more powerful than the conscious mind. And that is just wild to think about and it, yeah. to, to know that it's that powerful and that, it requires a lot of conscious effort to be able to focus to override that with what we want 
you know, to actually engage with, which is the truth of, of the narrative of God. Absolutely. I know uh, Jamie Smith, who's a philosopher and professor, wrote a book called Desiring the Kingdom. And mm. he talks about how our heart is shaped and then therefore our subconscious by everything we interact with all day long, because it's all telling a story. And if we're not tapped into that shaping effect and how it's playing out, then we're sort of operating on autopilot without even knowing sort of, you know, this isn't necessarily his language, but the software that's guiding us, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it, it is almost like a software in a sense, because your your mind it, you know, engages like a computer, the way that we, we run thoughts and there's the, you know, the memory that we have and all that, those different things. But the, the really cool thing is, you know, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? We literally rewrite it with a new program uh, and that's rewriting it with, with the truth. And, you know, I like to, I think there's so much narrative packed into the, the Garden of Eden story and you know, just so much of, of, what we experience as human beings here in our world is just really packed into that story. And the idea that it says that when, when the, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve with, with the, you know, the forbidden fruit, he says, it's going to make you like God. What he's doing in that moment is he's actually inserting a lie into their brain saying, you're not like God. But the truth was that God said, no, you're like me. I made you in my image. I made you to be like me. And so in a sense, the enemy in that moment, rewrote the programming. Mm. He inserted a lie, he inserted a virus, if you will, into the program that God had created. And now what we have to do, part of our journey here on earth, is learning what is true and rewriting those lies, which are incredibly pervasive because they are ingrained in our subconscious, rewriting those lies with the truth of, of what the scripture tells us about who we are to God. So what kind of practices do you have I guess, to become aware of what narratives are shaping you, to become more mindful, to hear God's voice. What do those look like for you? Yeah. So I know you guys, with Ruo Space, you, you engage in a lot of different spiritual disciplines and practices. I've been going through some of the archives of the podcast. <laughs> love it, by the way. I'm subscribed. It's one of my new favorites. Oh, so thank you. Totally love it. Going to be recommending it to a lot of friends. Oh, that's an honor. Um, but for me, I've engaged in a lot of different spiritual disciplines and practiced a lot of different things. But the one that I keep coming back to is journaling. And that's because that is the way that I best communicate with God and the way that I best hear God speak to me. It probably has something to do with the fact with me being a writer. You know, it's just mm. it is a very natural sort of expression for me. Um, but one of the things that I like to tell people is, you know, you should try different spiritual practices. Obviously, you should engage with lots of different spiritual practices and find which ways you best connect with God. But once you find something that works for you, like press into that, like really use that as a tool and resource to, to hear from God. So for me, that's journaling. Uh, one of the ways that I do that is by journaling my prayers to God, just journaling what's on my mind. Uh, but one of the really key important things that I do is that after that, I actually listen for what God might want to say to me, and I journal what I think God's response might be back to me. Nice. When my one of my mentors first told me about this, she's like, "Hey, have you ever tried journaling what God might say to you?" And I was like, "Ew, I don't know. That feels a little weird." <laughs> you know, like speaking on God's behalf for him, but I'm like, "Wait a second. I have the Holy Spirit inside me. That's like what the Holy Spirit does, you yeah. know, the Holy Spirit to speak to us on a very real personal level. And it initially began with me just writing down a lot of truths that I heard in scripture. 
And then it eventually, it's kind of interesting what happens, like how Holy Spirit sort of takes the pen and the words that come out that you wouldn't have anticipated or expected. Um, But they always align with truth. They always align with love. They always align with Jesus. And uh, it's, but it's always so very personal and very relevant to, you know, the moment in the day. And so that's one of my spiritual disciplines that I I come back to just about every single day. I like that. It's uh, getting it out of your head and Mm -hmm. onto a physical plane because we're embodied creatures, right? So I I think that's a wonderful practice. I would definitely recommend to people. It makes it real. It makes it tangible. It sort of gets it out of there and then you're forced to sort of interact with it. Oh, absolutely. And one of the key things that I love about it is you you have a record of your, your journey and your relationship with God. You have something that you can come back to. You can read back through old journals, begin to see patterns, begin to see, you know, things where God spoke to you a year ago about something. And now you're beginning to see that like play out in your life or it holds you accountable to the things that God has said to you. So I think there's a lot of benefits to having that written record of of your conversation with God. Yeah. Memory is uh, pretty central throughout scripture. Always being oh, told, remember, remember, don't forget. Because when we forget, yeah, it's those other stories then that kind of can take over uh, and creep in. So Absolutely. one of the things I, uh, do you mind sharing a little bit? Now, this is going to go into escape a little bit, but it's I feel like it's linked really close to what we were just talking about, was how you sort of came uh, to name the book. Um, there's this quote that, that you had that says, I had one of those frightening moments when I suddenly became aware of what I was thinking. A moment when the static in my brain finally dispersed and a megaphone projected the voices in my head loud and clear. So this seems to be one of those moments when you tapped into that deeper thinking. You became present. It wasn't just autopilot. You weren't being driven by other things. You were fully present here with eyes to see and ears to hear. So can you tell us about that moment? Yeah, absolutely. So as the story goes, I was driving uh, into work one particular morning, and probably like many of your listeners, when driving, that's the one of the best places for my mind to wander, for me to not be paying attention to to the very present moment. And uh, that that's exactly what happened. I was driving, made it all the way into work, and I was sitting at the stoplight, literally right outside my building, ready to turn into the parking lot. And that was where you know the static sort of cleared for a moment, and I heard God speaking to me. And uh, the word that he said to me in that moment was escape. And the funny thing about it was that it wasn't like this loud, booming voice from the sky or a creepy little whisper in the seat next to me, nothing like that. <laughs> it was literally the car in front of me was a Ford Escape. And so, nice. so you know, the, the, the make of a car right there on the back of it, it said escape, big and bold. And for whatever reason, that word just sort of leapt off the back of that vehicle and it just struck me. And I realized that even though I hadn't been necessarily paying attention to what I was thinking about on the drive into work, that word escape felt like the answer to whatever it was that I had been pondering. And so I kind of clung to that word. And when I got into to the office, I grabbed out my journal and I just wrote escape. I don't know what this means yet, but I guess <laughs> I'm going to find out. And so uh, then God began, he began, of course, teaching me what that word means and leading me on a journey of my own personal escape. So what sort of told you in the moment, you know, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. So because you're kind of you're a creator, right, who we're all co-creators. So it's not, you know, I mean, you could if you're a writer, that's one type of creation. If you create things with your hands or, you know, if you're a teacher, you create lessons. So but as a writer, you're sort of co-creating this narrative. So how do you 
I guess, yeah, I'm asking just how do you know if it's the voice of the Holy Spirit? How do you know to trust it? What does it sound like to you? Not necessarily audibly, of course, but. Right. Uh, no, so I think what I would tell your listeners and just, you know, any, anybody else who's wanting to learn, how, how do you discern the voice of God? I, th- I guess that's really the question. How, yes. how do you discern when it's the voice of God? And I would say um, one of the biggest ways that you can learn to discern the voice of God is by practice. And as I like to say, pick up the phone. So the analogy I like to use is if uh, if my husband calls me on the phone, regardless of the fact that I have caller ID, right, on my iPhone that says who's calling, if that wasn't there, I could pick up the phone, hear his voice, and I immediately know who it is. Not only that, but I can oftentimes tell his mood, his intention. Like, you know, I can discern from the sound of his voice, you know, what's troubling him or what he's excited to tell me about, that sort of thing. So... If I never pick up the phone, though, I don't. I don't learn that familiarity to His voice, yeah. and it's the same way with God. You know, this goes back to we were talking about that that prayer. Speak, your servant is listening, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to say there's three steps to hearing from God. One, you have to ask Him to speak. Number two, you have to listen. But number three, and this is the hardest one, you have to do whatever He tells you. You have to take action on the thing that you've heard, and that's where you really begin to test and learn to discern that voice of God because you're actually picking up the phone. And so a lot of it is just practice and saying yes when God calls, actually picking up the phone. And of course, it's like, you know, if if, if I as a business owner have an employee who every time I call them, they immediately answer. Or as soon as I email, they respond, they respond to me immediately and they're a go-getter and they're eagerly engaging with, with what I'm doing. I'm going to seek to promote that person, to give them more responsibility, to call them more often. They're going to be my go-to person. And so what I like to say is the more you pick up the phone, the more God calls you. And the more opportunity you get to actually learn to discern his voice and hear his voice. And to go back to what you had said about co-creating, that's it. The, that, that's, that's, what, that's what it comes down to is hearing the voice of God and then acting on what he tells us to do. I like to say that when we hear God's voice and do whatever he tells us to do, that once again, the word of God becomes enfleshed. Mm-hmm. We enflesh the words that God has said, whatever his will is, whatever his, his, his kingdom vision is for that moment, whether it's, hey, I want you to write this book or whether it's, hey, I want you to go visit with your 90-year-old neighbor. Whenever we hear God's voice speak to us and we act on it, we are enfleshing the word of God and we are being Jesus in that moment because that's, that's exactly who Jesus was. He was somebody who was, you know, fully human, but fully filled with the spirit of God. He always said, you know, I only do what my father tells me to do. I just listen to my father's voice and that's what I do. And he is our model for what we're, we're, what we're supposed to be like here on the earth today. And I like to put things in ways that maybe make people feel a little uncomfortable because I just like to say it a little more boldly than we typically hear from the pulpit. Uh, because I think sometimes we we need our familiarity to be shaken up. And so what I like to say to people is we are made to be like Jesus, fully human and fully divine. A human being who is fully infilled with the Holy Spirit of Yahweh God, that we're listening to that voice, we're submitted to that voice, we're obedient to that voice, 
we're following what that voice tells us to do. And so to co-create with God, whether it's co-creating a book, whether you're, you know, raising children, whether you're, you know, a CEO at a company, whether you clean hotel rooms, you know, whether that's your, whatever it might be, when you are actively listening to the voice of God and acting on what you're told to do, you know, you are, you are co-creating. And I like to use the story of uh, the wedding of Cana in uh, John chapter two, where uh, I think one of the most profound pieces of dialogue in the entire Bible is spoken by Mary, the mother of Jesus. When at the wedding, she, she goes to Jesus and she says, hey, you know, we're out of wine. And I like to like, again, thinking of this from a narrative perspective, what subtext might be going on here? How could we use this to see our world today? And so I like to see that as when we look at our world today, it feels like a party that has gone south really fast. You know, our, you know, you said we, we started in a good story. We've ended up in a bad story. It's, it's that kind of narrative. That's what we the, the world that we live in. And so we, we can say to God, you know, God, it feels like we have run out of wine down here. Something is missing. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. We just need you to come, Jesus. Just come and fix it. And he says, you know, my time hasn't come yet. That's what he says to Mary. Hey, it's not my time yet. And she ignores what he says and turns to the servant <laughs> and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And I think that is exactly the message for the church today. Jesus has called us to be active participants in this narrative. God calls us to be active participants in the story that he is writing. And when we do whatever he tells us to do, we are engaging in that story and we are co-creating and manifesting the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. Amen to that. You know, and, and not to not to rabbit trail too far off, but on that story, you know, the wedding at Cana, what I love is Jesus is obviously performing the miracles, but in a sense, the servants perform the miracle because they go and pick it up and carry it. Um, and so they did listen to the voice and they were instrumental in the miracle. And that's our invitation. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, here's the really cool thing about the way God works. God is... Uh, uh, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, all the omni-omnis, right? He's, <laughs> he is like the, the infinite creator being. He doesn't necessarily need us, but he has orchestrated the world, the world in such a way with free will to where he has created an opportunity for him to need us. He has manufactured this world in such a way that he actually needs our active participation. And so when we say, oh, God doesn't need me to do that, no, he does. Like he, mm. he's, he's, he has placed you here on the face of the earth. You are the hands and feet, literal hands and feet of God. We're the body of our God, as you know, as the as the scriptures say, that we get to be co-partners and co-heirs and co-laborers with Christ. All these things it tells us in the New Testament. Again, I think it's that familiarity. For a lot of us, we've heard these words too many times. We've read the story one too many times. And that's what I love to do with with my novels is to tell the story, but in a different way, in a way yeah. that's going to maybe hit somebody in their heart in a little bit different, a, a different way than maybe they've read it before. You're preaching now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Get fired up. <laughs> I love it. So um, as we as we get close to uh, our, our time, um, yeah. I would just ask, what is a couple things? It, it could be one thing. It could be three things that if you were to sum up what you would like to leave people with, what might that be? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, continuing what I was just saying is that God calls you to be an active participant in the narrative of of creation, of the world, of the story that he is telling. 
you know, the, the story doesn't end with Jesus on the cross. That's not the end of the story. That's the midpoint. And, and now we are filled with that same spirit that, that Jesus was filled with when he, he lived here on the face of the earth. It says that we will go on to do even greater things than Jesus yeah. did. And I know that when, when I used to read that, I would think, well, how in the world could I be greater than Jesus? And the, the simple answer is that there was only one Jesus, but there are millions of us. And that's what it means to be the church, the body of Christ. You know, this is, it's what it means to be a human made in the image of God is to be like Jesus, living in love, serving and walking in love, listening to the voice of our father and manifesting that kingdom here on earth. And so what I would just tell your listeners is God has a wild adventure for you. He has something that he just life that you can't even imagine. You it says that he has come so that we can have life to the fullest. That's not a refrigerator to the fullest. It's not a bank account to the fullest. <laughs> it's not a house with kids to the fullest, or whatever you might have thought. But I can promise you that when you say yes to God, when you say, you know, God, I'll do anything that you want in my life, when I will align myself to you, you will have the fullest, most wildest, adventurous life that you could ever possibly imagine. And it'll be more than you could ever dream. Love it. So where can people find you? Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook. HR Hutzel is the name that I go under. Um, if you, if your readers or if your listeners want to um, to follow me, the best place to do that is my website, which is hrhutzel.com, and that's h r h u t z e l dot com. And um, when they go there, I actually have my my very first book that I wrote is being re released in a brand new revised edition. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, so that's actually coming out this month, and I, I'm giving that away for free. I want people to have that story for free. So if they go there and sign up, they will get um, a copy of that book. That is awesome. Well, friends, definitely go buy that. Leave a review uh, because we want your books to get into as many hands as possible. Well, I appreciate that. And we'll put that website in the show notes as well. So anyone who wants, you can just click it. There'll be a link there. It'll automatically take you. So thank you so much for your time. This was a blessing. It was so much fun, Phil. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before we go, I just want to thank you again. I pray that this episode gave you some insight into your own story and how your story relates to the beautiful story that God is telling. I definitely recommend you go to hrhutzel.com. Check out Heather's work there. Buy her books. You will not be disappointed. I know I am currently working through the Beth L series and cannot wait for the next installment. So go check that out. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, we do interviews quite frequently at Ruiz Space, so I encourage you to check the other ones out. We've had some really great guests who have given some really great insight into this journey that we call life. And on top of that, if you're up for it, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you have an iPhone, now don't do it if you're driving. However, we would love for you just to go right below, tap to review, and uh, write us just a quick note. That helps us to sort of extend this ministry as we reach more people with this good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection into this story that we are all walking through. So until next time, brothers and sisters, grace and peace be with you.